welcome to the Intriguing Beings podcast with me, Rue Chater. Season 2, Episode 8, with Julian Sal. Hi everyone, I'm back, and as promised, there hasn't been such a delay for the release of this episode. I'm going to try and be a little bit less tardy, um, but as I always explain, it's quite difficult with all the plates that I seem to be juggling at the moment. Sometimes sit there in the evening and wonder how on earth I'm managing to keep my head above the water so let's hope I don't explode from some kind of nervous breakdown at some point in the future um, but fingers crossed that won't happen and hopefully this time next week there'll be another episode for you to listen to I'm actually really keen to get all the ones that I've recorded out as quickly as possible I've got a bunch sitting on a hard drive and they really deserve to be out there on the internet rather than sat just with me being the only person able to listen to them Anyway, this week's guest is a very interesting gentleman. Julian Sal is the son of Raphael Sal. If you haven't heard of Raphael or Julian, I'll give you a little background. Raphael was originally a windsurfer. Uh, his sail number was F1. And from his windsurfing days, he started building windsurfing boards. And then right at the dawn of kiteboarding he started creating kite surfing boards and actually at the time I think his boards were the only ones available in Europe so he built up quite a following and the brand you've guessed it became F1. Julian was around four or five at the time when he was traveling the world with his dad and his mum Sophie on the windsurfing world tour and over the years he's developed into a very very nice young man who I am privileged to call a friend and he now heads up Monera which is the water sports accessories arm of F1 so he deals with all the wetsuits harnesses and things like that and they have a really interesting approach to how they create things they've kind of exploded really on the scene and done incredibly well and uh, the products that they make are of a really high quality but they also have some interesting ideas around um, the planet and eco friendliness and things like that but also around the the standard of the product that they want to put out the interesting thing about Raphael and Julian and the F1 and Monera businesses and all the other sports that they encompass as well um, is that it is just still privately owned by Raphael, which means they can make decisions around what they want to do rather than what some shareholders are asking them to do in the name of profit. And that, I think, leads to some really interesting ethos around the kiteboarding and surfing and the sports that they're involved in anyway it's a quite a long-ranging chat with julian and as is typical his dad interrupts at some point i actually left that in the edit because it's quite entertaining and i guess for julian he's always been living under the cloud of his dad and now he's kind of coming out from that cloud and really spearheading the monera brand and taking it in some impressive directions with some of the movies that they're producing some of the equipment they're making and uh, the amount of market share I guess that they're taking as well so sit back and enjoy a really interesting conversation between myself and Julian Sal. This afternoon I'm sat with an interesting gentleman by the name of Julian Salas am I pronouncing Salas right I've always said Sal Sal oh there you go yeah. I've always said Salas I don't know why that is it, like some people tell Salas Salas because, because Sal means dirty in French it's kind of <laughs> 
don't have a real name. I was going to re-edit this and start again and get it right, but now you've said it means dirty in French, I'm going to leave it. So I'm sitting here with Julian Dirty in French, and um, he is the son of Raphael Sal. And if you've never heard of Raphael Sal, then look him up on Google. He's a very interesting man. He's the head of F1 uh, Kiteboarding, which is a kiteboarding company, one of the original kiteboarding companies. And he was also a very high-level windsurfer um, back in the 80s and used to travel around the world touring and doing all the events. And I think even beat Robbie Nash a few times and was you know, on that top podium um, in terms of windsurfing as those sports went back then. So, Julian, my first question to you was, you're quite young. And what was it like growing up with a dad that was traveling the world windsurf tour? Like, how was that in your childhood? Do you remember him going away? Do you remember him doing it? Well, I don't remember that a lot because that was before I was like seven or eight. Okay, so then when you stopped because he created F1 in 1996, I yep. think, when I was six. Okay. So I remember a few stuff, but I was super young. So, so were you left at home with Sophie, your mum? And... No, uh, I or used did to you travel, travel with well? them. Yeah, wow, yeah, so you used yeah. to get just taken around the world. Everywhere. I've been seven times in Hawaii, but, but don't I don't remember it. anything. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I've been traveling with them quite a lot. And uh, yeah, just remember when I was six, seven, he continued to travel a lot. It was like, I remember my friends were like, oh, your dad is a pro um, a windsurfer, kiteboarder, that's awesome. And I was like, yeah, it's nice, but I don't see him that often. So, you know, <laughs> it was like, it was not the big thing for me at that time. Yeah. I just wanted my dad to be home. But uh, Yeah, and spend time with your dad. Like, But it was okay dad. because at like six, seven, eight, he started the company and he had like a lot of work so more time at home yeah but then i guess when he starts the company he's equally busy running the company and exactly. setting that up so. plus the first f1 office was like their room so my yeah. parents room so it was right next to me so they were here most of the time packing boards and yeah packing things up cardboard <laughs> yeah, trying boxes. to use a computer for the first time <laughs> and so you were still quite young when all that was going on like sort of you mentioned being sort of seven or eight that's yeah that's i didn't realize you were that young not that you look yeah. old but you know i thought just from the age and of Raphael and where everything went i thought that you would be a bit older than that but oh, no i was, I was super were... young i still remember most of the things like the, at f1's company start but uh but yeah i was i was a bit young um like like i say i always see f1 as my little brother because yeah. it's like it was born when i was six and then i had to live all my life <laughs> competing <laughs> with, with f1 you yeah. know i'm not competing but it's like yeah i have a little sister and then and f1 and like we grew up together yeah of. you all kind of grew up and matured as it were together and that was back in 98 was it the company started um, i think it was six 96 Started, and that, because he started with windsurfing, windsurfing boards, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, so a couple of years of making not the windsurfing sure of the boards. Exact date, but yeah. Uh, and then sort of '98 started making the kite surfing boards. Yeah. And so, when did you know? Did Raf teach you to get into windsurfing or kite surfing when you were younger, or was he too busy working to get uh, you into it? I used to windsurf, but I was yeah, I was super young too. I remember I had a mini big board yeah. with a, the like. I remember my fin was a dolphin the dolphin shape and, uh, but no I didn't get into windsurfing that much I uh, started kiting when I was 11 I think something okay. like this so 
So quite, and back then, that was when the kit was still a bit sketchy, right? So now you wouldn't think twice about giving yeah. a seven-year-old some kites or like me no, too. I would never Montero's that, giving right. his two-year-old a kite. Like yeah. back then, they were death machines. So. We had the two-line, two-lines kites, uh, the big boards, and when a gust came, I remember you just had to like hold on, hold on, and, and that was that was pretty dangerous compared to now. Yeah. And how did you get on? Did you pick it up quite easily or did you? Mm, no, I remember it was quite hard. I started on a windsurfing board with the two lines, really small kites. And, and yeah, it was, it was it was not that easy. Yeah. Like today you put someone and he, in, in a few days he can kite. But back then it was like a lot Back trip, then yeah. it was 10 days minimum, I think. Something yeah, like this. and took hard. Me, took me 10 days. Oh, and even then it was still difficult once you learned because yeah, the yeah, equipment like, wasn't like you as good as it is you, today. Yeah, you, you like to jump. You didn't just have to put your kites that's in it and, and pull. You know, it was a bit difficult. <laughs> and then to sort of come back to F one and you know your your career path. Obviously, now you're the head of Monera, which is the water sports accessories arm of F one. And I remember speaking to Raf once when they when you guys were first coming up with it, and you were like, "We want F one is like a triangle, and F one, and then Monera, and the sub side of things, and these three things are going to be like our big business focus." So it's a huge part of the company now. Did you always kind of, when you were growing up around water sports and learning to kite surf, did you always think I'm going to work in the water sports industry like my father, or was it something that you, as a kid, were like, I definitely don't want to do that. I want to do something completely <laughs> yeah, different. Yeah, that's more of the second option. <laughs> I really didn't want to work in the company like water sports in general. I, I didn't know, but in the company, I really didn't want. Um, like you said, I grew up being the son of Rafael. And you know, it's like I preferred to be like your own person, myself. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> and um, so that was a bit hard to like when I was young. All my friends used to say, "Well, it's okay. You can't. It's you you can you. you can be bad at school. You you know you're yeah. gonna get the company after." And then I was like, "No, I would never do that." Yeah, and um, it was later in um, when I finished my studies. Uh, I couldn't find any really interesting jobs for a few months. And my father told me, yeah, come come at F1 and you, you'll do like a six months internship. You will get more experience and it will be easier to find another job, uh, a good one. And I was like, oh, good idea. Then I yeah. arrived and I started at the communication assistant for six months. And that Manera scene was kind of left on the side and nobody was really taking putting efforts to take care of it and develop it. So I got interested in it and I was like, maybe there's something I something could do with it. And, and I remember my mother saying, do you think you have enough work with that brand? Because there's not a, not, not a lot to do, you know? And I was like, yeah, I think we can do something. And yeah, make something happen. And I had no experience in like growing a brand, making products, you know. Um, Did you do a bit of work at Quicksilver before then? Yeah, but for one year. And oh, just uh, most of it, I was an intern. And okay, like, so it, it wasn't not, like, wasn't it wasn't experience, experience building up no. for this. It was just literally... Basically, I was a kid. Uh, yeah. I just like went out of a marketing master degree and, and that didn't know nothing about growing a brand. Yeah. So I grew up with a brand, with a brand too. My experience grew up with a brand. So to sort of build a brand from scratch was um, a big... And for that I was okay because I wasn't working for F1. 
I had my own project within F1, so yeah. that went super well. It's so it kind of gave you, I guess, that feeling that you weren't just working for your dad, you that exactly. were working with him, but separately, because, you know, it's, it's your baby, right, Monero? Yeah, that's it. It's been more thing. than six years now. And yeah, I wouldn't stand to just uh, come and come in a company, F1, and just be the son of the boss and yeah. just take responsibilities and uh, like that. That would be my worst nightmare that all the employees think I'm the son of the boss and I get advantages because of <laughs> it's not like, oh, he's coming now. Oh, and it, he's ruining, hey, he's ruining the, the, the podcast. Right. He can come in. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, Raf? Finding you. Very well. We were just yeah. talking about you. Oh, yeah. The, the we ankle were, is perfect. We were saying very you bad kite? things. No, I can kite, but we've had yeah. no conditions. Ah. Yeah. So if it's windy this yeah, afternoon, Julia said maybe we go later to go for yeah, a kite. I have to go. I think you're going now, right? Yeah. Don't testing. Yes. So maybe we come and join you. And maybe we have a nice trip in June. Yeah, I hear. That sounds yes. super exciting. We have a booking room space uh, issues, but I hope we can make it work. That, yeah. yeah, just let me know. Yes, sure. I'm keen. I'll see you after, maybe? Yeah, after for I sure. I don't know what time I will finish. Well, he, he, if he meets you to guides, then yeah, yeah, meet you to guides. Tell you or... where we go then. Yeah, just okay. tell me. Yeah, tell us where we go, and I'll catch you, you in a bit. Cheers, yes. Raf. Good to see you. <laughs> Thanks for destroying the podcast. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Maybe I'll leave it in. It's quite a nice little interlude. Like, oh, here comes I. Don't want to be. I want to just be the son of the boss, and then in comes the boss, storming in, <laughs> destroying everything. <laughs> So yeah, I was happy to have my own Manera project on the side and, and just develop my own thing. And when you came into it, what products had been developed already? Because it was they were they were developing the EXO. Yeah, which was the the groundbreaking harness really at yeah, the time. That yeah. six years ago was one of the first That's harnesses it. to have that whole load spreading concept. That worked and... really well from like starting from the first year, and so had the big responsibility to build a neoprene wrench. Yeah, that was the most interesting. And because neoprene is a very difficult market to get involved with. I mean, you've been working at yeah. Quicksilver, which has a huge it's, neoprene range, but then you've got companies like O'Neill, Rip Curl. You know, it's a, a tricky it's one not, to get into. And in the kite industry, I guess Mystic is probably the biggest that there is. So Yeah, Mystic, Ion, they are both big. Really big brands. But so. um, it was super interesting for me. And... Um, it was hard, but super interesting. So it was okay. Like when you start a wetsuit company, you have two choices: you go to the factory and kind of buy their design, you know, or develop the design with them. Uh, but we didn't choose that because we don't like that philosophy. So we find a like 3D designer and that had like groundbreaking technology yeah, to design really wetsuits. Yeah, I remember you telling us about it. And um, and we worked together with brand new software and we sent file to the factory and they were like mm, there's no way we can build something like this <laughs> and finally we insisted and then they made the first sample and it came out super good and they were like oh, okay maybe we can yeah because the then, tricky thing is getting a three-dimensional design into a two-dimensional piece of fabric that's what that's that what the software into does. a three-dimensional that's finished it. product i yeah. guess right so that's it's what the software does two. like anybody who designs shoot in 3d and or a suit in 2D, but designers shoot in 3D with a software that uh, flatten all the panels with uh, details and, and um, right measure, exact measures, 
then it's a difficult part. Yeah, that was really tricky. So, um, yeah, and everybody told us, ah, oh, don't go in the neoprene industry, it's all promos and, you know, and there are big names and a lot of competition. And finally, it's, it's today, it's the biggest uh, turnover of Manera. The wow. neoprene. It's the not neoprene. even the harnesses, board bags, or neoprene is half of the brand. Wow. And we are growing, last year we grew 23%. Wow, the neoprene range. So that's pretty impressive in the current economic climate, where a lot of people are yeah, staying very sure. flat and struggling. I was, I was and... so surprised, but it's like we just put a lot of efforts to make a good product. And are you penetrating different markets, like the surf market and things like that, or no, is it just we, in the we kite just market? We just advertise and and, and pushing sell kite to side. kite shops, you know. So we don't have any, we don't have any surfers or you know. Yeah, anyone on the books like that. It's just it's only kite surfing. Wow. So, um, yeah, I think one thing that saved us is that we don't have, you know, um, big financial company that, that, that's on us. And so with my father, we, we take all the decisions. So sometimes we can sacrifice some margin and some money to make the product better. Uh, we can make that choice. Yeah. And on the neoprene industry, we have really big names against us and they cannot do that because yeah, they're all owned they need by to massive, get money. Yeah, yeah big companies own them and they want profit so the end of you the know day. we we can really make a good product even if we sacrifice a bit of margin and that's i would prefer to sacrifice a bit of margin but being proud of the product we sell yeah. you know and that's more important to me because as the the monero brand's always been a quality yeah, yeah, we quantity are really brand, quality, isn't it? It's very much like high oriented. end. You know, it's not you walk into a kite shop yeah. and you see it next to another product. You're like, wow, that's expensive. But then when you pick it up and feel it, you can kind of sense where that. We, we only sell um, medium range to premium. We don't go lower. Uh, first, because we don't really know how to do it. Um, some people are better than us at this, doing um, low quality yeah, and the budget. price. You know. Um, and yeah, we only want to sell quality, so that's the thing. So, you know, if I want to be a like super big company, uh, like I would have one day to to get the low end market too. But I'm not interesting and interested in it. So, so I'm happy with what we have now. We might be smaller than our competitors, but I'm happy with that. Yeah, and it's yeah. um. It's so good for me to have the freedom to be able to say I'd like to stay on that premium market and, and not go lower. Yeah, you haven't got someone pulling your strings saying yeah, you have to it. make this product and you have to hit this price point and you have to turn over this yeah. much money. It's like, so, no, we can yeah. be flexible. We're on a super comfortable place right now because the numbers are growing, which is good. And, and most of the customers are happy with the products. And so that's, that's good. Yeah. Perfect. That's really good. I'm good with that. And what's the the process for, you know, it's quite a big range of products now. And there's three of you working on it? Because originally it was just you working away. So yeah, I was, it must have um, been pretty tough to sort of come up with, okay, what are we doing? We're doing a harness. How's yeah. it going to look? What are we going to do? How was the well, process? of The turnover was small. So as I said, we are not like a big financial group. So when you have a small turnover, you cannot invest a lot in yeah. the products and in the marketing and everything. Now we got bigger and we are three. 
So Vincent is doing the products, the, all the product designs, and uh, Alize is doing all the graphic content. So yeah. she's a graphic designer and okay. di um, artistic director. And I'm managing production and marketing and uh, R&D and all of this with, together with my father. Um, some people that work for F1, we share the human resources with. Yeah. So all the commercial part is made with, together with F1, logistics also. Um, when we need an engineer, we work with Paco yeah. or Charles. Yeah, I was going to say, do you work with Paco and yeah. Charles for like the, the smaller bits, like yeah. the buckles and the hooks and the So we are not things. just three people. Like we are three people 100% focused on Manera, but we yeah. have... Help resources when you need yeah. to dip into things sure. or stuff like that. Chloe and Solina are handling the, the riders uh, management and the press also. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's not just us. It's not just, Ho hopefully. Not just <laughs> but, uh, Does that yeah. make it hard sometimes that you're having to share those resources? Do you think that, you know, if you had your own, you could be like growing at a bigger speed or are you just like, we're happy no, with what we're doing? No, I, I like it because they are working well and, and we are a big family with F1, you know, it's, we have the same office, as you see, we're not separated. It's, we see each other and we are friends with most of them. So, so yeah, it's a good relationship and we are working well and we share resources. So this is good. Yeah. And do you get much time to, to kite? And I know surfing is one of your big passions as well. Like it must be, you must be very busy looking after uh, yeah, all of like, this. Like, like a lot of people think, oh, you're working in a kite company. You must kite all the time. And I'm like, no, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. No. And no. that's the anomaly because Raf does kite all the time, right? Yeah, he's just wandered he, in. He has he's a good going, excuse. He's testing he's testing because he's, I'm not he's testing, testing kites. So, you know. What about testing harnesses and wetsuits? I like, go. But <laughs> he, he tests a lot of the gear yeah. too. Uh, even uh, harnesses yeah. and wetsuits. So I guess he's like, well, I'm testing the kites. Just give me the harnesses and wetsuits exactly. and I'll test them too. And have, you can stay in the office. I have Mika and my father that spend like 300 days, uh, <laughs> eight hours per day on the water. And yeah. I, will be, I will be dumb not to make them test yeah. the gear. Not to let them Because obviously it. I have to stay in the office to work. Yeah. Otherwise, like I couldn't be all afternoons. Yeah, Because uh, that's one of the, the sort of things for anyone listening that doesn't know it, you know, F1, I've, you know, been with the brand or known you as a brand since I think I came to the France for the first launch of the M5 kite, I think it was, years ago <laughs> with, uh, was it Leighton Bennett was doing it for TKC maybe? And um, and I remember sort of meeting the team and meeting Raf and it's true, like what you said, he kites 300 days a year, eight hours a day. Like, I'd love to put a GPS tracker on him and just see, yeah. like, this is the stats. And you and think, then for 20 years. Yeah, for 20 years. Like, he cuts more than <laughs> anyone. And then he's got Mika doing it as well. So when you add up those testing hours, that's probably why the product ends up being so good because it's just being tested, 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 tested. And we live tested. in a place where if you can, if you are willing to drive one hour, one hour and a half, then you will find win pretty yeah. much every time. Yeah. So it's good. So when you have to good. test, they find win. They get some good conditions. Right. Yeah, but I, I guess I, you get you get to go because I know that you get to go. You get to go on the the big Monera trips that yeah. you've kind of become famous for. Yeah. But then again, a bit of a double-edged sword because who was I speaking to about? Um, our guy called Dan McCauley, I think, in the podcast with him, he worked for O'Neill, mm. and he was saying that you know, as a wetsuit company, it's all about was all about glamorous shorts and bikinis and but you're a wetsuit company and he came up with this surf competition in the north of Scotland in Thurso mm -hmm. and it suddenly became this really iconic O'Neill surfing competition because it was the first time where a wetsuit company was going somewhere horrible to promote their products and as Monera your very first trip 
was was it to Iceland the first one? Uh, the or? first one was Iceland. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to some really cold, remote places. Was that always a conscious decision when you sort of decided, okay, we need to well, go and get all this footage and work on well, the mask? Well, something we share with my father for both F1 and Manera is that we just do what we want to do, so not what the market tells us to do. Yeah. Um, and going into cold destination was really my will, but because I like it, because like I think it, I was in Bali a few years ago, and, and I, re- I realized that how much how crowded crowded the, the waves and then the spots ca- became, and I told myself like I can sacrifice uh, some the temperature and to just to be alone. You know? Yeah, uh, and I went to Iceland first uh, one or two years before the trip, and I realized that the potential of this place is great. There's nobody. No. There are landscapes that we've never really yeah, seen it's before. It's kind of breathtaking, you know? isn't it? So I was like, yeah, like, we, need, we need to start doing different trips. And we released the Iceland movie Valhalla, and it yeah. works super well. Yeah, because F1 always did their, like the Madagascar trip, the yeah. Mauritius trip. Yeah. It's always Tahiti, you know, it's all yeah. these warm, picturesque mm. places. And I've been you... fed by those big videos like, yeah. since I'm a child. So, yeah, so, so I want, you know obviously you I want to try and do now. it, but you're doing it in an environment which yeah, is a hell of a lot harsher. And it's not just for the riders who are in cold conditions. The camera guy who sat there for eight yeah. hours, it's <laughs> pissing rain. This is the worst, actually. <laughs> the camera guy, because they go on the water too. Yeah, so... They have to change film from another place and then use the drone and you know it's the logistics around the whole thing of doing it in a challenging environment mm. i guess make it you know it's it's super difficult compared to uh if we will go to hawaii or mauritius because when i'm going there i don't know the conditions uh, they are really changing i don't know the spots i don't know if we will have waves i don't know i don't know anything so it's super stressful and but it's also the best time of the year because it's small team yeah, uh, I know everybody. Um, we really have fun and we always find some conditions. Sometimes it's super difficult, but like Canada, for example, yeah, we stayed for Vancouver. twelve days in Vancouver, off off the coast of Vancouver on a small island with ten wolves, and, uh, <laughs> and we had to wait for the two last days to shoot some kite surfing. So we were like going around all the places with the boat looking for wind and we didn't find any and I was depressed at the end and, and finally we found a fjord with some conditions and we could we could shoot a bit of freestyle and I was super happy because like investing because that's quite a lot of money so investing that much money and coming back without any picture or video yeah that's that would be, have been super hard it's really stressful that's gonna happen someday because, because you use you can that, get lucky every time yeah but. that trip that you know that's all your marketing and media mm-hmm. and for the year basically oh, right? yeah, sure. so it's kind of yeah, like yeah. that's you're putting all your eggs in that basket like, yeah. to get the footage to make the the big video which but, is always like a big production and well, you know i'll put the links um in the podcast text to the videos because they're worth a watch if you've not seen them i mean these are like stunning stunning edits that are put together so well so you know you've not just got the cost of getting everything there, the cost of the camera crew, you know, that if, if they're not shooting, it's just kind of money. Yeah, yeah. money and Depressing. time. And, and, <laughs> and they, those are my baby too, you know. It's yeah. the project I'm most proud of because we take so much risk than, than, than having the reward of having good conditions with the good lights. The riders doing what they do best and, and, and you know, 
that's that's great. The feeling is great. So we've always been lucky. Uh, we're going to the next one in two months now. I'm super scared of like it's super wild destination to super far, and I don't know what what is waiting for us there. Can so. you say where you're going, or no, is it no, top no, secret? No, 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 that's... I've got so I was thinking wildest nation and super far away. I mean, it conjures <laughs> up a few a few nightmarish places that it's you can head like to. It's not like super secret, but if I see it, then yeah, we will, you like, don't want to don't want to take the edge off it. Have yeah, to wait. like that's not wait. top secrets, but it's like I'd like to keep it secret until September. How long does it take to plan a trip like that? You know, well, this one, for example, um, I started planning it. I started thinking about it three years ago, but I really started planning it last year, I would say, last fall, September, uh, talking to local guys. Um, and we like had to book visa and everything in January for all the riders. So we, we needed to do to know, you know, their schedule, competition schedule and everything. It's quite complicated. Yeah, because that's tricky as well. Like, the, most, the most complicated is... Not everyone's to, available to come yeah, and that's do it. it. Is to, you know, like, got get the crew together and, at the right yeah, dates. To find the period that works the, for you. The local the can spot. tell you, ah, it's only working in July. And you're like, okay, July, July there busy. are two competitions. Yeah. What can I do? And then you try to find ways and... And then the second biggest, uh, second most difficult part is to find the transportation on, on land because sometimes it's in that wild areas, it's super hard to find. There are no roads, you know, uh, not really rent a car, um, stuff like that. So it's kind it's of hard to. Do you hook up with someone on site, like a local guy always. that's there? Yeah, yeah. so you always, know someone. Always have can... a local guy helping. Yeah, so they can then say, this is where we should look for wind today, or this is where the waves are going to be good, and that makes a bit of a difference. Yeah, sure. Have you had any nightmares when you've done these trips, like, you know, camper vans falling off cliffs or anything? No, <laughs> like no. We, had, we had a toilet flooding. Uh, that, was, that, was a, that was quite hard, but that was not a nightmare. <laughs> no, everything went always super well. Super Nobody smooth. hurts, you know. Yeah. It's the most important. So, no, it went went well yeah it's, it's always the, the best time of the year for me to be honest the, the time that you can get away and get away and relax fun with with riders that are also my friends and, and camera crew that is also and i guess as well with. like there's no internet where you're going half the time so um, canada in scotland we have internet but that's the only one yeah yeah that was the um isles of island of the strangers yeah island of yeah. strangers so that's the only place we've had uh, internet but yeah. I don't like it because You'd rather everyone's t- talking and chatting and not yeah. looking at their phone. Yeah, but like in Scotland, all the riders are young guys. You know, it's not my generation, so they're <laughs> always on their phone, Instagramming, <laughs> chatting, and getting yeah, that perfect like, selfie. Oh, <laughs> in Canada or Iceland, we were like around bonfires and, and chatting. You had, you and, had to chat. Yeah. They, otherwise, you couldn't do nothing. It's good. So it's a different different way of interacting with people when there's no internet. No electricity around. too, so they cannot like watch movies or yeah. So that, it's that, just that's, like that's chat, the best. Have a beer, socialize. Yeah, that's the best. Have a few beers. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing I noticed after Iceland movie is that finally when you look at the big markets of kiteboarding in the world it's uh, mostly Europe United States and Northern Europe and if you realize that a big part of the kitesurfers in the world they are wearing sick wetsuit all year yeah and so those are guys from France, you know, and Germany, Holland. Those are the 
very big markets, Scandinavia, England. And if you think about it, they know that kind of conditions. They know that gusty wind, cold gusts, you know, uh, thick rubber around around their body and, and, you know, having to change in the rain. And they, they, they leave that pretty much all year, especially in winter, but pretty much all year. And having a video that shows something similar to what they experience every day, I'm pretty sure that they liked it. And yeah. that's why we had a lot of success with the cold water trips. I think so. Because, like, it's I'm not interested anymore in the board shop movies. Yeah. It, it's not, seen it all before. It's not my life, you know? Yeah. It's the same same old shop from Mauritius or wherever it is. And it's like, yeah, oh, that's... it's beautiful and it's wonderful. But We're so yeah. used to it. Yeah. You become dumbed down to it yeah, because you've like, seen it so many times. It's, it's like Fast and Furious movies. They've done yeah. too much, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. They should have stopped at number two. Yeah. <laughs> or number one. But... <laughs> or number none. <laughs> but yeah, I think it was, I didn't expect that. And I think it was interesting to have the feedback and, and hear that people were feeling closer to our movies than the regular marketing, you know, yeah. surfing, kite surfing, board shot, palm trees and all that stuff. That's quite an interesting concept. And I guess it's true, like you're very, very right. You know, the big markets are all, yeah. you know, Northern Hemisphere. Mm. And a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people up in Scandinavia that kite and Holland and, you know, Northern Germany. And it's freezing up there and yeah. Denmark and places, you know, it's not, it's not, UK. not pleasant. No, yeah, UK, no, yeah, like, UK's cold. And did you ever kite in board shots? No, no. Yeah. Do you know, I used to years ago when I first started kiting, and I first got good, there was a spot called Whitstable and the tide would come in over the hot sand. Yeah. So the water would be quite warm. And <laughs> for I a used while. To, yeah, for a while. And for like from June to July or maybe July to August, I wouldn't wear a wetsuit and that was it. But no way now. Like I've become a, a fair weather kiter these days. If it's, <laughs> if, it's a, a, not, if it's below 10 degrees, then I'm not going. If it's raining, I'm not going. But in the past, I would go in. You know, I remember I did a, did a whole article about how to get your hands warm before a kite session yeah so they wouldn't you know so you wouldn't get that cold you know horrible um chillblains in your hands and i was scraping snow off the front of the van and sticking my hands in ice cold water <laughs> so they got cold and then warm them up and then when you went kiting they wouldn't get cold again and yeah i used to kite like february and january yeah. in the uk in the snow and it wouldn't bother me but now for sure no i'm older now i'm sensible <laughs> <laughs> but i guess a lot but of I people still wear do a wetsuit. But a yeah a lot of people do a lot of people do and if and, and the, like the different breakthrough in the neoprene technologies that we had over the last few years there help uh, the cold water community to grow, and, and that's super good. I mean, it's the, 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 the advances in the wetsuit technology are really quite phenomenal. I mean, I remember <coughs> coming back from, where had I been? I think I've been to Australia or somewhere like that, and I entered the UK <coughs> Wave Masters windsurfing event and this was like 94 maybe or something like that mm. and I didn't have a wetsuit and my dad had this gull steamer wetsuit <laughs> yeah. that he bought from the boat show maybe in like the late 80s or something like that and I was like oh, I'll just borrow that and I remember putting this wetsuit on and it was like it was obviously made two-dimensionally and the guy <laughs> was like in a star shape when they made the wetsuit and then when you put the wetsuit on it was like physically hard to bend your arms <laughs> let alone move and walk and get to the beach and a lot of people especially if they've just come into water sports recently you know they put a wetsuit on and you can wear a six mil wetsuit and it feels like nothing yeah that's you know? it but even even us, like if I look six years ago, our first range, I will never use it today. 
Yeah. It was so like it was super premium at that time, but now it's but now it's changing. It's, it's not good anymore. What's leading the charge on the wetsuit technology, do you think? Is it the the brands demanding more from the wetsuit manufacturers or is it the wetsuit manufacturers sourcing new materials? Well, and... it's pretty well known now that there's one big manufacturer in the wetsuit industry uh, from Taiwan and they pretty much do all the premium brands. Uh, is that Shenko? Have... Yeah, Shenko. Yeah, Shenko. They have more than 90% of the neoprene market in the world, yeah. something like this. So um, they do a lot of developments. Uh, they develop a lot of the... Um, materials everything and they are really they are today they are the one developing the eco-friendly wetsuit eco-friendly yeah. stuff in the wetsuit you know um, it's a super good company um, and i would say they are leading the charge with yeah. the feedback from the companies yeah so the are, companies are, are saying the, this is what our market wants and then their shenko as a, as a company is then going okay how can we make mm. these materials available to that's it to the brands it's, that we're uh, working with. It's kind of hard for us every time because, you know, we are playing with the same material and the same manufacturer of others. Yeah, so 90% of the wetsuit manufacturers being yeah. the same factory, they've all got the so, same options. So how do you make but it But I always different? say it's like, it's like cooking, you know? You put two cooks in the same kitchen with the same ingredients and they will come up with something Completely either good different. or bad, but different. Yeah. So we are we are really working on the feet, on the details, on the construction of how we assemble those materials together, you know. Because um, they're quite good, aren't they? And you can give them instructions as to how you work. You know, it's not like, oh, you're working with us, everything's the same, you know. And it can no, be very we, different. Like, yeah, it can no. be really different. And they work with the brands like that, which is... Yeah. For anyone listening, going, oh, all the wetsuits, it's not at all, is it? It's like, mm. if you say to them, we want it stitched like this, stitched like this, done yeah. like this, and this is how we want it, they'll do that for you. Sure, you, you, you can do anything do you want. Yeah, they won't then go and do that for Rip Curl and say, oh, hey, we were doing this for this company. No, so very... they really respect, they have to, if they yeah. want to still be the biggest with the biggest the customers, they have to respect the confidentiality be, between in between the customers. Yeah, so, so who's working with it's what? super important for, for them too. Um, so yeah, I would say yeah, it's like it's like cooking. Yeah, you have just the same kitchen, same ingredients. Now it's up to you to make a good recipe or not. Yeah, um, and you taste different every time. Yeah, but it, it's a challenge, but it's super interesting. Yeah, and you touched on um, the environment side of it there. I mean, wetsuits. You know, it's a petroleum-based product in the past, and you know, a lot of the sports that we do aren't exactly environmentally friendly. You know, we're using fiberglass and all these materials and stuff like that. Mm. It's bad. So what's changing? I mean, you've got a brand like Patagonia, for instance, that, you know, sells themselves on being eco-friendly wetsuits. What's changing in, you know, what Monera is doing to kind of catch up with that? Or where are you in that? Yeah, uh, we are working on it uh, quite a lot because of personal uh, beliefs, I would say. Yeah. Um, It's hard because... If I have the choice between performance in the product uh, or eco-friendly, I would choose performance because we want to deliver the best product possible. And I think that in some way, if the product, when I say performance, it means quality, durability, you know. If the product performs and is durable, then it's better than an eco-friendly wetsuit that will tear apart in one year because you will keep the Manera wet you two or three years. Yeah. So I really focus on durability, performance and high quality products 
And that in itself is quite eco-friendly. Yeah, because it's got more longevity and a longer lifespan. Mm. So someone's buying three wetsuits over 10 years rather than That's it. 10 wetsuits over 10 years. But we are also using, we don't market it a lot because as I say, like we don't develop it. Shaco develops it. The manufacturer develops the, tech, the green technologies. So the recycled tire thing that you hear on a lot of wetsuit uh, companies, we have it too. Uh, we have the new water-based glue, uh, yeah. aqua, you know, so we have it, but we just don't advertise on it. Yeah. We might start because a lot of customers are asking us to do it. And You're already doing it, but just not shouting about it. it. But for example, we worked on the packaging a lot. Uh, each of our wetsuits are delivered with recycled carton box. And inside we have to put plastic because the wetsuit needs to be protected um, when they come from Asia to here or other place in the world, they have to be protected from moisture and everything. Uh, so we use plastic, but starting from next September, we will use uh, compostable and biodegradable plastic. So yeah, we are we are working on it. We are not sustainable. Yeah. Like I will never say that, uh, but we can improve yeah. and we will improve over the years, for sure. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because like you say, you know, there's... There's the green at any costs attitude where, hey, it's green, but it lasts five minutes. And, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And then there's the, well, actually, you can be green in other ways. I was chatting to um, Clinton from Airrush, and he was talking about, you know, one of the things they really focus on is actually making their kites last a long time. Because, mm-hmm. hey, if we've got a kite that lasts four or five seasons or even mm-hmm. longer, then that's great because someone keeps using it and they keep using it. And sure. they've only bought one and it's less, sure. you know, less use. It's the best, best way to be eco-friendly. They... They stopped packaging their kites in plastic, mm. but then realized that the kites were bigger to ship. So it was, it was taking <laughs> more volume, more, more yeah, volume yeah, and then yeah. the actual cost of the shipping was becoming, you know, mm. the amount of gas that was being burnt in sending the ship around the world with less kites on board was it was sure. better to shrink wrap them in plastic and then you can get more kites on one yeah. container and then, you know, and it's a, it's a tricky thing. And it, I understand that, you know, it's it, super hard. It's and really hard. If you advertise on eco-friendly, you know, and green stuff, there will always be someone looking and saying, well, it's not so green because, you know. Yeah. So we are doing it, not so advertising. So we are, we are doing it more for like personal beliefs on, than, than for marketing. So that's it. We also recycle the wetsuit that we have in, uh, that, that we have broken from the riders or, okay. you know. Or wetsuit that the sample we we don't use anymore because they don't work. We send them to a, another brand that makes the, some bags out of it. Oh, cool! Yeah, so a bit of so, recycling goes on as so well. So we try to recycle as much as possible. I guess that's throwing it away. Main thing anyone could do is just wear it until it's absolutely not working anymore. Yeah, <laughs> don't just go. Oh, I fancy a new wetsuit. Just keep. Yeah, it. that's it. If it works, keep wearing it. Not consume it. when that's, you. Yeah, when, don't consume when, when you don't have to. Yeah, that's, that's about a, as green as you best. can be. Is yeah, just use less stuff. Yeah, yeah, and don't sort of keep keep picking up on things. Sure. Um, to talk about harnesses a little bit because that technology and. You know, that sphere has changed a lot over yeah. the last six years. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Monera was sort of leading the charge with the, the XO harness, which had this external skeleton, which spread the load. And you did a lot of work with, um, I think, was it a university or some yeah. science yeah. Um, department? Where they were, yeah, they were looking at the pressure points and stuff like that. And I remember when I first wore the XO harness, uh, we were in Mauritius, I think it was. And everyone that goes on these trips always takes their own wetsuit and harness. That's just the way it always was. So everyone turns up the wetsuit and harness. And I think it was you and Raf were like, okay, here's your harness. You've told us the size. This is yours. 
go away and wear it for your first session and then you can put your old harness back on and like nobody put their old harness back on because it was just so ridiculously <laughs> that was comfortable <laughs> yeah but it was true and i remember and it was it was so comfortable you know and for a couple of years i wouldn't wear anything but an exo harness i remember going to cabarete one year with a harness from another manufacturer whose name i won't mention and i would ride in cabarete for four hours at a, set, at a time and i couldn't spend more than an hour on the water because the harness was so uncomfortable and i ended up speaking to nico and um bruce in america and getting them to ship an exo harness over from america to cabarete <laughs> I didn't at my know own that. cost That's yeah funny. <laughs> i paid them the money and paid them the shipping and it cost me goodness knows how much money to get this harness turn up and yeah. it was great i loved it it was fantastic and then i could kite again for a long period of time but you guys stayed away from the whole hard shell mm -hmm. concept which is obviously i guess the hot ticket in harnesses now you know ride engine came out with this hard shell concept and I'm a big fan of that harness and I like mm -hmm. wearing it. Um, and also the rope slider bar was probably the main reason that I wore it. But you've now got the Eclipse harness, but mm -hmm. it's still not quite fully hard. Nope. What's your thoughts on that whole having a super rigid stiff harness? So we have, um, like, we've seen the ride engine coming and, and the success because people were like, oh, it's good and everything. So we bought, we bought one and we tested it. Because sometimes we like try the competitors things. Yeah, I think less than we should and less than another company could do. But we we do we do that too. We have to. And we tried it on, and we didn't really like it. Um, we believe that some people like it because it fits them and maybe that it fits their riding styles. But we tried it with my father and Vincent, our designer, and. None of us really liked it. Uh, we saw the advantage that it gave, but not really. We, did, we didn't enjoy riding with it. So, as I said, F1 and Manera, uh, we make just what we want to, to do. You know, we do what, what we want to. Uh, we don't let the market guide us. So, um, we we decided not to go in this and follow all the brands because all the brands are doing yeah, it. Yeah, everyone's so come out. We decided not something. to follow all the brands. Which is an interesting point on the patent for a ride engine. They've got to be going, what? You know, they've yeah, just that's true, nicked right? our idea. Like, that's going to be a I don't really know a about fun, this pattern. Yeah, yeah <laughs> fun like, kettle of fish if that yeah, ever comes that's, out. That's for sure. But we didn't want to go into that, that yeah. uh, trendy stuff. And that's why we developed the Eclipse because we understood the... The main advantage of a hard shell is that it's, it's anti-compression on the side. Um, actually, we've been fighting against that with a, with a, like, first generation of EXO. Yeah, part because part of your anti-compression was having the wider spreader bar. Yeah, I remember the way it was sold, you yeah. had to have the right spreader bar for That's your it. size, because otherwise the harness would compress. Well, and by that we mean squeeze you in the, the hips. The spreader bar is, as long as your hips, you know, like it, the harness cannot compress you. Yeah. Um, that's, that's part of the success of the EXO too. Um, so yeah, that's why we developed the Eclipse with a quite stiff frame, but not hard, not 100% hard. So it's stiff where you want to and, and soft where you need to adapt and, and, and to adapt to your movements too. And combined with that long spread where it, it offers an anti-compression. So um, we still believe that the harness needs to be soft, uh, yeah. softer than a hard shell. And is that to fit a wider range of people? Because, I mean, everyone's yeah. got a different body shape. 
that's yeah, a tricky true, thing. I mean, true. that's a super hard thing with designing mm. accessories, wetsuits and harnesses. True. You know, you could put 10 guys or 10 girls in a room and they're all completely different. <laughs> that's true. And, and yeah, that's why we, we believe in adaptability. Uh, that's yeah. why we called our shell the adaptive shell because we believe it, it must be adaptable to everyone and to every move too. Like when you do strapless or foiling or, or freestyling, it's not the same movements and, and you need more or less freedom of movements and having a frame that is a bit soft on the side is important. So yeah, we still believe in our concept for yeah. sure. And yeah, the Eclipse is a great success. So yeah, we're happy about it. Been like, selling well? It's selling well, yeah. The EXO is still selling well too after <laughs> after seven years. Seven years and still yeah. going strong. Yeah. And inside the harness, something that, you know, probably doesn't get talked about, but I know you've worked on a lot, is the different kind of foams that are used and things mm -hmm. like that. How much effort and time goes into, like, you know, working out what to put in a harness and how to make it it's as hard comfortable as possible? When we develop the, 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 the shell outside, then you need to think at the same time of what's going inside because it's obviously the mix-up boss that, that will perform on your back. So... Um, yeah, we're we testing different forms and different patterns of form behind. And, and we, also, we also have the choice between using neoprene and inside lay f uh, layers of foam or, or make a single foam like the Union or, or the yeah. new EXO, for example. Um, so the neoprene and different layers of foam will be more comfortable because softer, while the single foam will be lighter uh, because it doesn't absorb water. So, yeah, it's... I would say the... Stiff, if I can say stiff, uh, frame parts and the foam inside parts are equally important. And yeah. we put equal efforts in developing both together. Yeah, because there's a lot of components that go into a harness when you break it down. And it's taking yeah. a lot of stress as well. Well, you know, what we're a... trying to do is to reduce the, those components at the maximum. But it's still, it's still a lot. Yeah, it's still tricky. Mm. And then last year you came out with the slide and spreader bar. Finally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's well, something that I personally. You know like, why? Because uh, come on, <laughs> I never, be I never believed in it for strapless because I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, but I tried it for foiling, and and I thought it was great. I yeah, really, I really enjoyed it. So then it was and the so light we developed moment. one, and uh, now we offer it. Yeah. I need to pick one up for me before I leave. Yeah, that's for my We have harness. some in stock, so... Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. That's all right. But, yeah. Yes, like, as I said, I didn't believe in it, so I didn't want to sell it. And and, and, and then it needed you to, to get <laughs> Then I board. needed it, so... And is that the same with all the products that you do? Like, there's something that you have to be personally, like, uh, yeah, I believe sure. in that, I would use that. Sure. It's got to be good enough for me. We always... Both Efron and Monera, we always sell what we use and yeah. what we, we enjoy using. If if we don't use it while riding, then then it's we don't want to sell it. It's like if we're not proud of a product, we don't sell it too. And do you ever get products where you've almost at you know getting it to completion stage and you're like, this is just isn't working and we don't like it, let's kick it into touch or have you got a good development yeah, process that it does uh, happen we, like we don't go to the last stage of development we stop at like the middle yeah <laughs> but you get to that point and you're like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We, like well, i don't want to sell that i don't want 
yeah, if, if a product really like doesn't have uh, an advantage compared to what we have today in our range and compared to the competitors, then I, I see no point of pursuing it, selling it. You know, uh, we could sell it with like big margins and you know being aggressively uh, aggressive commercially, and we could, but it's not the point. Yeah, it's more about the products that you can use and things that you're proud of, no. and things that you want to take to the beach and feel happy selling to other people to use well our, our, our like our deep goal is to uh, make people ride longer and be more happy on the water so with a shitty product you can't ride longer and be more happy like off your session um, when we started Manera I used to go to the beach and, and before I didn't do but I was watching the harnesses and wetsuit of everyone and, and all my even of my friends that were going out of the water in, in January, and they was uh, like after an hour, they were saying, oh, it's, it's cold, I'm going out. And I thought about it, and I was like, no, it's not cold. You just have the wrong wetsuit. Um, yeah. You could stay four hours if you want, but if you're going out because you're cold, it's not because of you or because of the weather, it's because you're not well equipped. Yeah. So I thought that really equipment, wetsuit harnesses, it could really change it doesn't change your life, let's be real, but it, it could change your life on the water. And that's, that's, that's good to me. That's enough. Yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> the, the Iceland guys, they always say, there are no bad weather, there are only bad equipment. Yeah. I cannot believe it. If you've got the right equipment and you're good to go. That's awesome. It's a good philosophy to have for a brand. Yeah, I think so. Better than... We're owned by some big company. And we have to make money and hit profit margins. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like, like I say, we are we are so I'm so lucky that my father didn't sell the company. Or you know, um, he could he could make a lot of money out of it, but uh, he doesn't. And I'm super happy and proud of this because it gives us the freedom to to have fun while while working. And like I wouldn't like to to have someone telling me what I should do. Um, I wouldn't like to do something I don't believe in to. So, so I'm really, really lucky to be in, in this comfortable freedom. Yeah, comfortable situation. That's, That's cool. good. And all those years ago, you definitely didn't want to do it, and now look. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've been, I've been trapped. Yeah, he was good. Like, he was good. Yeah, he sold just come for six months. Yeah, just come for six months. See how it works out. You yeah. know, it'll be good. You know, you can see what's going on. Yeah. No. Plus, we under like. Kiteboarding market is super nice. Uh, we respect, and we I hope we have the respect from our competitors. Uh, most of the big boss they know each other, you know, of the different brands. It's I would say it's a healthy competition. It's a yeah. healthy market, good atmosphere. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a good place to work. Kiteboarding, perfect, mm. excellent, Julian. I think we'll end it there. That was really good. Cool. Thanks. Good chat. Thank you. Thank you. There we have it. Episode eight in the bag, done and dusted. I hope you enjoyed that one. Um, Julian's always a really interesting chap to speak to, and I enjoyed catching up with him and hearing a little bit about living in his father's shadow, I guess, um, but then growing up and building his own brand within the F1 family. Um, it's always a pleasure to hang out with him whenever I get the chance and to have a few beers. He's a, a very 
interesting person if you ever get the chance to speak to him be sure to ask him a few questions about some of the things that he gets up to he's a talented waterman whether it's surfing foil surfing kite surfing and now wing surfing and yeah i was really privileged to have him on the podcast this week anyway um that's it from me for this episode i would really like you to give this episode a like and share on social media give it a five star rating on the app store we've got a bunch of those as i said i'm going to try and get a few more of these out on a bit more of a regular basis now that life isn't so much calming down but hopefully it's moving in the right direction a little bit more anyway thanks very much for tuning in please 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 share this with your friends and tell people about it down the pub or whenever you get the opportunity and that will encourage me to keep putting out these episodes so without any further chat from me have a fantastic week you've been listening to the intriguing beings podcast with me rue chater